Um, I used to have a, I had one of my grandmothers would, uh, would never let us walk around, run around in the church, <laughs> talk. run around in the house while she was baking a cake. I don't know if you guys had a grandmother who believed this, but like, apparently if you, if you banged around a lot in the house, the cake might fall. Um, and, but I actually, I like my cake a little on the fallen side. And I'm going to say this, I like all baked things, like if I have to choose, I would rather have it underbaked than overbaked. Uh, you know, the, the, the little bit of gooiness, in my opinion, is better than the little bit of crispiness. Um, amen. That's right. So I was telling the guys earlier, this sermon, it's probably a little underbaked, okay? It's a little, a little gooey, um, but that's okay because sometimes, sometimes that's just better. I tell you what, if you're going to have a sermon, <laughs> you'd probably prefer underbaked rather than overbaked. I mean, honestly. Um, so yeah, that's what you get. That's the introduction for today. <laughs> Two days, you don't get an introduction. You may not get a conclusion either. I may just sort of circle the airfield for a while and just fall out of the sky and we'll be done. Um, but open up to Mark chapter 10. Uh, I, I decided not. Our next passage in John is the passage that regards the, pro- the promise of the Holy Spirit. I did not want to preach that one to you half-baked. Uh, so I decided to kind of pick up something uh, that I've thought about before and that I've been thought about lately. And thinking about lately, and we're just going to kind of walk down through uh, some passages in Mark chapter 10, primarily the passage uh, that is often referred to as the rich young ruler passage. So let me begin in, in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus is very welcoming of children. Uh, In the passage, the chapter rather, just before, chapter 9 of Mark, um, the disciples are having one of those arguments that we've seen they're sort of famous for. They're arguing about who is the greatest. Uh, chapter 9, Mark 9, verses 36 and 37. He took a child. This is Jesus' response to their argument. He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So the disciples like us, are slow to learn. And in uh, chapter 10, verse 13, they begin acting like very important people, sort of shooing the children away. Mark says that they were rebuking those who were bringing their children to Jesus. They're protecting Jesus from this unnecessary intrusion. I'm sorry, Jesus doesn't have time for your children. Uh, He has much weightier matters to deal with. If you're watching The Chosen, if you've been watching The Chosen, the, the dramatization of, of, of Jesus' life, I think they do a really good job of picturing the disciples sort of trying to keep Jesus from these, these uh, insignificant matters. When Jesus saw it, Mark says he was indignant. 
This is the only time this word is used of Jesus. He had a pained, angry reaction to the disciples. They had grievously misunderstood the purpose of his ministry. And he says, stop hindering them. Permit the children to come to me. These little children that are eagerly coming toward Jesus, uh, Jesus, he doesn't want them to physically prevent them from coming. He wants, he wants them to come. And he says, for such is the kingdom of God. Now, of course, Jesus is not saying that there are only children in the kingdom. Such denotes characteristics, qualities. He's saying the kingdom, his kingdom, is composed of people who are childlike. So a child is trusting, a child is dependent, a child is receptive. Jesus is not saying the children are innocent. He is commending their receptiveness, their willingness to be dependent on others for what they need. Children are needy and dependent, and he says anyone who doesn't come to Jesus as a child doesn't receive the kingdom. And so just to be clear, uh, as we move towards the passage of the rich and ruler, Jesus is not impressed by our independent thinking. He wants people to trust and obey him. He wants us to become like little children. If you prefer to sort of arrogantly or independently question him and his revelation, then you are not coming to him like a little child. It's interesting to me, I think this will matter later on, Jesus resumes blessing the children. So in verse 16, he says, it says he took them in his arms. What must that have been like, uh, you know, perhaps for the kids who are a little older to have grown up? Yeah, I actually, I, I, one time I, I sat in the Lord's, Lord Jesus' lap, and he blessed me. I remember, I remember that he blessed me when I was a little child. So Jesus welcomes the children, a whole class of people, and this is very important, especially at that time. Children were, were insignificant. I mean, pretty much, if it wasn't your child, you didn't care. They were an absolutely insignificant class of, children, of people. They have nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table, no resources. They can't contribute. They require work and time. And Jesus says, bring them all to me. Don't hinder them. All right, so in our next passage then, verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, so he was in a house, he had actually been disputing, you can read the passage before it, with the Pharisees about divorce. They were trying to trap him again. He had gone into a house. He had spoken privately with his disciples, and now he is coming out of the house. He's setting out on his journey, and a man, uh, verse 17, a man rode up, ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this man has a burning question, and it is worth noting, you could even make a little note in your Bible if you wanted to, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three gospel writers that we refer to as the synoptic writers, they all place the story about the children just prior to this story about the rich young ruler. And I think that's important. I think that they have something to tell us here. Matthew says that he is a young man. Luke calls him a certain ruler, and Mark tells us, as we'll see in just a minute, that he owned 
much property, so he's rich. He's come to be known as the rich young ruler. That's what I'll call him uh, for the rest of the morning because his wealth had made him influential. I think he is what we would call today a good kid. His parents were probably really proud of him. He had every reason to look forward to a successful life, and in his community, he was admired and blessed. So those same disciples who just deemed those children insignificant, you know, don't have time for this. Jesus, we got to keep moving on. We're we're in the middle of a kingdom-building project here. You don't have time for children. So those same disciples who considered the children insignificant would have considered the rich young ruler very significant. This guy is going somewhere. If he decides to support us, if Rich gets on board, this could be huge. He could give money. He could give time. Think about the network that this guy is probably a part of. This is, this is big, Jesus. Stop fooling around with those kids and, and pay attention to the rich and ruler. Now, there's certainly a lot to be commended about his approach to Jesus. It says he ran up to him, so he's eager to talk to Jesus. He's excited to see him. He has a question. Maybe he has heard, maybe he's been trying to get a, get a chance to talk to Jesus. Now he hears that he's leaving town and the rich and ruler is making sure that he gets a chance to talk to Jesus before he goes. It says that he knelt before him. He is respectful. It was not customary to kneel before a rabbi. So the rich young ruler clearly holds Jesus in high esteem. And then finally, he calls him good teacher. So the rich young ruler wants to hear from Jesus. He respects him. He admires him. He's willing to give his attention to what he has to say. And the rich young ruler has a question. There's some urgency here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so today we would probably call the rich young ruler a seeker. Um, He's in a good place. He's asking good questions. I think many parents would be happy to hear that their children are wanting to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But there's a problem with this question. And I'll tell you this, it's very un- childlike. That's the problem here. The problem is found with that little word, do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler would like for Jesus to give him something to accomplish. Is there some great deed I could do so that I can be assured of life after death? That word inherit, it means to come into possession of, to obtain. I have a lot of means, Jesus. I have a lot of resources. How can I use some of those resources to get to heaven? And so here are the three assumptions that I think the rich young ruler is making as he approaches Jesus. First of all, he assumes that he will have the ability to do whatever Jesus may require of him. He is a successful guy. He gets things done. We might imagine that he has never met an obstacle that he cannot overcome. So rather than childlike dependence, the rich young ruler lives in self-reliance or independence. Secondly, he assumes that he will be willing. So the rich young ruler considers himself to be a good person, as we'll see in a minute, and he considers Jesus to be a good teacher, and so he thinks in himself, 
well, the good teacher is going to tell me, the good person, something to do, and I'm going to be happy to do it, because it'll be a good thing. And then third, he assumes he has the means. This is a man of wealth and influence. He will happily take on whatever project Jesus recommends, and then hopefully that project will get him what he desires. So we have here an eager, respectful young man who has asked a question. What could possibly be wrong with that? But the rich young ruler's question reveals that he is completely mistaken about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. His question is, what can I add to my life to receive eternal life? And I do think there are many people today who would like to receive eternal life via a checklist. Just tell me what to do. I have secured success in this life. My life is relatively good. Now, what do I need to do so that I can be certain of life forever with God? Jesus, what do you have in mind? Maybe a mission trip? Uh, I can totally see myself. I can be uncomfortable for a couple of weeks. I will go. I will paint. I will hand things out. I can do that. I, I, can, I can clear my schedule. How about a Bible study? Maybe, you know, Jesus, are you doing something? Is there something a couple of times a week, maybe once a week? I, 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 could, I could see myself in a Bible study. Hey, I have money right now. I, I could actually write a pretty big check. Jesus, just you say the number, I mean, within reason, and I'll, I'll get you the money. I'm really gifted. I'm, I'm really gifted in a certain skill. Just you say the word, and I will bring that skill to bear in your ministry. But what this young man does not understand, and what many today don't understand, is that Jesus is not something that can be added to the old life. You can't just add Jesus. It's, it's the parable of the wineskins. You can't put new wine in old wineskins, because the old wineskins have already been expanded, and if you put the new wine in there, it's going to expand, and it's going to bust those skins. When Jesus comes into our life, he takes over the old life. You don't add him in. It's not the way this works. And so Jesus is not as impressed by his question as we might be. And Jesus' answer, I, I find it to be almost excruciating, as the answer unfolds, there are three things that Jesus wants the rich young ruler to understand if he wants to inherit eternal life. First of all, the rich young ruler doesn't understand who Jesus is. And this is, we've been tracking with this lately. It's important to understand who Jesus is. He says in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus is challenging the rich young ruler's perception of what it means to be good. Like we said, in his mind, the rich young ruler is good, and Jesus is good, and they're both good, and if they're both good, Jesus will give him something good to do. He does not understand what it means to be good. Now, Jesus certainly is good. He is not denying that he is good. On the contrary, he is asserting that he is God, and there are none good but God. Jesus and the rich young ruler are no, not both good. Jesus is saying, yes, I am good. In fact, I am God who alone is good. Are you willing to accept that? So Jesus is clarifying who he is. We saw this last week in John chapter 14, where Philip says, can we just see the Father? 
And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. If you believe who Jesus is, then it's, it's not a question of, of what works should I do. Jesus will work in you to do the works that he intends for you to do. Secondly, the rich and ruler doesn't understand the sinfulness of his own heart. Verse 19, Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler answers, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. There's almost a sweet obliviousness to this young man. You can almost picture him, again, the checklist, wait a second, don't murder, check, don't commit adultery, check, don't steal, check, don't bear false witness, eh, check, honor your father and mother. Thank you, Jesus. That was just what I thought you would say. I will see you in heaven in about 60 or so years. If someone doesn't murder, steal, commit adultery, they must be okay. Our, our standard of purity so often is relative. It's relative to those around us, but it's not relative to Jesus Christ. Compared to everybody else, the rich young ruler is doing fine. Compared to his standard of righteousness, the rich young ruler is doing in fact, the rich young ruler has broken all of those commands, but he says to Jesus, I'm good. I've kept them all. And Jesus is not interested in our righteousness as it relates to those around us or to our own standard of righteousness. Better than everybody else I know is not the goal. Jesus is our source of comparison. Our goal is to be holy as he is holy. But sadly, this is exactly what the rich young ruler wanted to hear. And sadly, it's what many troubled Christians want to hear. Just tell me that I've done enough to inherit eternal life. Give me something to do, plus my life right now, and I'm golden. I always think, maybe he even started to sort of like turn around. He's relieved of the anxiety. He's glad that he caught Jesus before he left town. Jesus isn't quite finished. The third thing he wants to tell the rich young ruler is that he needs to be clear about the cost of following him. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Mark is the only writer who says, Jesus loved him. Jesus felt love for him. Some people would like to paint Jesus as somebody who loved poor people and hated rich people. That is not true. Jesus loves sinners, all of us, rich and poor. And because he loves us, he reveals the truth to us. This young man would have made an excellent addition to Jesus' ministry. He is wealthy. He has influence. Conventional wisdom says, get this guy on board. Schedule a follow-up. But Jesus, being God, has a different standard. Jesus becomes indignant when the disciples keep the little children from him, but he says something huge that is a big turnoff to this influential young man. And so looking at the rich young ruler with love in his heart, he delivers that final devastating truth. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. 
And if the rich young ruler had sort of begun to walk away, you can picture that this would have stopped him in his tracks. You want me to do what? This is a very difficult verse. This is one of those verses that, you know, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know what Jesus means, but I don't think he means what it sounds like he means. There's extremes of interpretation here. Some say this verse applies to everybody and we should all go out and sell everything we have and give it to the poor if we want to have eternal life. The other extreme are those people who just say, you know what, all Jesus is looking for is just to know that you're willing in your heart. Just be willing. Are you willing to sell? I'm sure, I'm willing. Okay, you're good. I don't think it's either one of those. First of all, I believe that Jesus is calling this rich young ruler to sell all that he has and give it to the poor. I think that's the easiest point of interpretation here. I think he is sticking his finger. Jesus is sticking his finger right where it hurts. The rich young ruler loves his money, loves his comfort, loves his status. Money is his God. It is the idol that he worships. And Jesus calls him to destroy that, that idol. You've got to destroy it. And I do believe, once again, there are many troubled people out there, and there are many troubled Christians. And like the rich young ruler, they come with the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life, to be free from this burden of sin, to find peace in this world of pain, to find hope in my despair? And Jesus looks at all of those people, rich or poor, with that same love, and he says, destroy that idol, hack it to pieces, chop it off if it's hindering you from coming to Christ. Quit that job that keeps you stressed. It takes you away from your family. Delete the social media accounts, accounts and the streaming services. Get the flip phone. Drop the relationship that leads you to sin. Stop the flirty chit-chat. Stop taking and start giving. Stop the selfishness. Devote yourself to serving others. There's a saying I read recently, and I, I, it's kind of stuck with me because it's kind of a, like, a more current uh, way of saying you reap what you sow. Your life is perfectly designed to produce the life you're living right now. Like your life, whatever troubles you're having, your life is perfectly designed to produce those troubles. And if you want to produce something different, if you want different fruit, then you have to change. And you know what? The rich young ruler, he doesn't want to change. He is not anxious enough to change how he lives. And so Mark says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know that old meatloaf song, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that? Sort of the rich young ruler's song here. I think that's what he thinks as he walks away. I would do anything for eternal life. Ooh, I'm going to do that. His life is perfectly designed to get what he's getting, and he doesn't want to change. One of the most interesting parts of this passage to me has always been the fact that Jesus does not run after him. He doesn't say, all right, all right, all right, all right, just testing. I didn't really mean everything. Let's, let's talk about this. He lets him go. How can it be loving? How can Jesus love him and let him walk away sad? Isn't sadness bad? I think the rich young ruler's mom probably had some choice words for Jesus. Like, how dare you? You made my kids sad. What are you thinking? Jesus is willing to make him sad because Jesus knows better than we do. And he said all he can say. If the rich young ruler doesn't want to hear from Jesus, Jesus doesn't beg him to listen. You know the Bible never commands us to beg anybody 
to listen. It's not our job. And sometimes people will walk away sad, and there's nothing we can do about it. All right, this is where I think things get really interesting. So just walk down through this passage with me. So Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, verse 23, I, I think this was just jaw-dropping for them. I think they're just like, what? It is so important here to remember that this story and the story with the children appear, appear right next to each other. Jesus what are you doing? You have just wasted hours on a bunch of snotty kids, and you're going to let this guy walk away? What are you thinking? He would have given money. I bet if we could have gotten him, you know, this is sort of the, you know, what happens if LeBron James gets saved? Won't a lot of other people get saved too because LeBron James got saved? I mean, if this guy becomes a follower of Jesus, you know, surely everybody, everybody's going to want to follow suit. How many of us wouldn't have pulled Jesus aside right now and been like, you know, I could give you a couple of books on, like, team building? Remember that, that book on leadership that everybody was raving about, you know, 20 years ago? About, you know, you've got to get the right people on the bus. You know, you've got to get the bad people off the bus. You've got to get the right people on the bus. Like, somebody would have said to Jesus at this point, all right, that guy, like, you wanted him on your bus. Definitely. But Jesus presses in again, verse 23 and 24, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And y'all, I mean, these ought to be some of the scariest words for us in the Bible. And verse 24 says, the disciples were amazed. They were utterly astonished. The predominant Jewish perspective, by the way, was that riches meant blessing. It was blessing for righteous behavior. So to be blessed was to be rich. Jesus is undermining their whole system here. Rich people are blessed, poor people are cursed. Well, maybe not cursed, but we know they made bad choices, and that's how they ended up in that mess that they're in. This is how the world works. Verse 24, continuing. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is speaking of a real camel and a real needle. You can't get around this. There's no other interpretation. There's no figurative speech here. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Don't even think about trying to, like, pick each hair apart and just stick it through there. Well, it would be really hard, but if you had enough time, you might could get it all through there. <laughs> Verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? These things Jesus is saying are so far outside of their worldview and really, they're so far outside of ours. Truly, his ways are not our ways. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. There is nothing you can do to enter the kingdom of God. You can't do enough. You can't give enough. You can't love enough. It's impossible. The premise of the rich young ruler's question was flawed from the beginning. How, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is, it's impossible for mankind. You simply don't have the resources. You're not good enough. You don't have enough stuff. You're not talented enough. But it's not impossible for God. Don't come to Christ asking what you need to do. You can't do anything. You just come to Christ. Come like the child with dependence and trust. It's like the old hymn says, nothing 
In my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Okay, pastor, (laughs) so you could have preached anything you wanted this morning, and you chose this. I understand. I asked myself that same question when I was trying to land this plane early this morning. But as you know, I have been thinking and reading and praying a lot about discipleship lately. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I think certainly it means listening to the words of Christ. And this is a passage in which Jesus Christ, our Lord, just hacks away at our idols. Jesus attacks idols that are very prevalent for us, the people sitting in this room. So I want to take these two passages together, and I just want you to consider these little children and the rich young ruler. Number one, the rich, the little young, the little children come to Jesus with nothing. Come to Jesus with nothing to offer. They are dependent. They really can't do anything. And Jesus literally blesses them. Like, he blesses them. He holds them in his lap, and he gives them a blessing. The rich young ruler comes asking what he must do. He is independent. Jesus says things that cause him to leave sad. And the one who seems blessed does not receive a blessing. So Jesus blesses the children. He lets the blessed one go. Secondly, Jesus works hard to make sure the children can come to him. He removes every hindrance. Even his disciples get get out of their way. I want the children to come. Jesus, on the other hand, lets the rich young ruler go. He offers no blessing. He offers no comfort. He refuses to make it easy for him. And then the disciples are shocked. And then third, in both passages, Jesus speaks of entry into God's kingdom. In Mark 10, 15, he says, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Childlike people receive the kingdom. On the other hand, in verse 23, he says how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. People of means will find it difficult, if not impossible, to enter the kingdom. So if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, disciples, then we need to be working to change our thinking to the way that Jesus thinks. We must value what he values. Jesus receives and embraces those who are childlike. Are you childlike in your faith? Are you trusting and dependent on your God like a child? Jesus is not impressed by whatever resources we think we have. He's not impressed by our talent, our our intellect, our strength. Jesus wants you to come to him. He just wants you to come. Don't try to bring anything. It won't help. And Jesus isn't building a church full of impressive people. We're all unimpressive, but he loves us. And he's building his church with a bunch of unimpressive people. It's important to note here, I know rich people who have a sweet, childlike faith. And there are poor people who absolutely stubbornly refuse to come to Jesus, who persist in their rebellion against their creator. The problem with the rich young ruler wasn't his riches. The problem was his heart. And his riches were the idol that he worshipped. So ultimately, and this is what Jesus says, right? You can't worship God and wealth. Ultimately, when it came down to rich young ruler, sell all you have to follow Christ, He chose all that he has. 
Because riches are dangerous. And I do believe the rich young ruler points us to the fact that riches are dangerous. Riches make us feel independent. It's easy to trust in riches rather than God. That famous parable of the soil, when the seed that was on the thorny soil, I, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. I've read it all my life, but I've never noticed what Jesus says, the beauty of reading the scripture. But on the thorny soil, when Jesus is explaining, it says, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Have you ever noticed that phrase? The deceitfulness of riches. The rich young ruler heard the word from the word, and he was deceived by riches. Riches are deceptive. Jesus said so. My theme verse these days is Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man, and in the end it leads to death. The rich young ruler chose the way that seemed right to him. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been deceived by riches? Have you come to believe that your wealth is the source of salvation? And I think these are important questions for us to answer as we live in this time where money and financial things feel like they're all such a mess. It's easy for us to have our hearts connected to these financial problems in a way that would like lead to despair. By the way, I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. A rich person in Jesus' day knew where his next meal was going to come from, had an extra pair of clothes, and had a roof over his head. We are all rich beyond imagination. And truly, truly, if Jesus said to you, sell it all, would you walk away from him sad? If it weren't for verse 27, I think we'd all despair. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. God can save rich people, he can save sinful people, he can save sick people, weak people, weird people, poor people, suffering people. He can even save religious people. He saves children, he saves teenagers, he saves adults, but he saves people who come to him like a child nothing to bring. Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now take me in your arms and bless me. That's how we come. That's how we enter into the kingdom of God. Hear these words of Jesus. Let them sink into your soul. Don't be tempted to say, ah, I, I, I'm not sure what that means, but it, it it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. Don't do that. Ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Ask him to show you what these hard passages, this passage and others, others that come from the words of Christ himself, ask him to show you what, what does this mean? And then trust that he will indeed change your heart. The Spirit changes your heart and causes you to desire to love the things that Christ loves rather than the things that you used to love before you came to him. Um, if you're going to be handing out the, the Lord's Supper this morning, I would invite you to come up.
we have this reminder that we do every single week here at Hope that the Lord has left with us, this little celebration. Um, there is reward to come. We've talked about the mansions from John chapter 14 lately. Uh, there will be blessing. There will be material blessing to come in the next life. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have put your trust in His blood shed on that cross, if you have believed that God raised Him from the dead and declared Him to be the Son of God, then you are welcome to take... I mean, this is a really great picture. It's a tiny, tiny little meal, but it's a picture of a great feast that is to come. And it's a picture of the promises that are still to be fulfilled. And so this morning, I would invite you to join us. If you have not believed, then I would ask you to wait. Not that we want to exclude you, but just that we would love to talk to you about some of these things that I've mentioned today. So grab the, 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 the bread and the cup, hang on to it, and I'll come back up here in a minute and lead us together.